We're starting a new series, No Pain, No Gain, and uh, as I shared a week or two ago, it is one of the series that in talking to the team, if I'm going to be handing off the torch, uh, I've not preached this like I'm going to preach it, and I don't want CLCers to look back in life and say, Pastor Stan never told us this. So uh, I want to talk about really how to handle suffering in life. I've preached on that before. In fact, uh, this week we'll talk about suffering in our personal lives. I'm going to revisit a series uh, that we did five years ago, God, Where Are You? Uh, but then I want to make a turn and next week and the week after. I want to talk about the suffering that I believe Jesus told us about, that believers have experienced ever since the time of Christ, and that I believe is facing us in the years ahead as Christ's followers. Uh, as culture gets more and more difficult and adverse toward the cause of Christ. So we're going to talk about no pain, no gain. And uh, one of the things that Satan is good at doing, he's good at what he does, one of the things he's good at doing with suffering is rather than suffering drawing us closer to Christ and making us stronger in our faith, which oddly enough is what it's supposed to do, he's able to take suffering and create a wedge between us and God and drive us away from him. And so this weekend, I want to talk about no pain, no gain, uh, how to grow in your suffering, and I want to talk about it in our personal lives. And as I say that right now, real time, many of you are suffering. For some of you, it's physical pain. Uh, it's an illness or prognosis or whatever that's not going well. Some of you are suffering emotional pain, and maybe nobody knows the darkness of your depression or the intensity of your anxiety, and you've got your best game face on. <clears throat> Some of you, it's relational pain, and you may be seated next to someone and can't, couldn't have imagined more hurt between the two of you than there is now. I mean, I can go on down the line. It can be pain in your career, in your academic studies, about your future, your past, whatever. And suffering is part of life. <clears throat> and so I want to delve into that. And uh, if you have the app, you can follow along with us. And first of all, to make a, a perspective, a point, <clears throat> is that your pain is the tip of the iceberg. And we have here the classic iceberg photograph. And, and uh, what is seen is just a small uh, portion of the whole thing. Let me give you a couple of verses to kind of set the, set the stage. In uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. I'd like us just to validate the truth of Scripture. How many people have sinned in here? Can we all raise our hand? <clears throat> okay, so it's true. All of us have sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God, and that's a problem because if there's sin in our life, the Bible says in Isaiah, there's a chasm between us and God. And you've got to do something to bridge that chasm. And the problem is you can't do it, but Jesus did. And if you put your trust in him, then you can have that relationship with God for eternity. There's another verse that widens that. Basically, he's saying that through Adam and Eve, the first humans placed in the Garden of Eden, it was meant to be paradise, perfect harmony with himself. Can you imagine being anxiety, insecurity free? Say, what's that? What's anxiety? You know, I mean, could you imagine saying about it, if I said the word anxiety, you go, what's anxiety? What's insecurity? What's depression? It was never meant to be part of the human dictionary. And then to be in perfect harmony with each other, with God, and with their environment. That's the way God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. And he gave them very few restrictions. Enjoy yourself. I made this all for you. Just stay away from that one tree. Don't eat that fruit. And wouldn't you know that when we are told what not to do, we do it. It's called sin, when we do our will, not God's. And we just all acknowledge, I've done that before. Well, it wasn't just a human impact. The next verse tells us how far that spread. Romans 8, 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The fall of man is creation-wide. All of creation is groaning, and childbirth has hope to it in that there's going to be a birth. But until then, there, can, there is great pain as you get closer and closer to that birth. And there is going to be something new birth for us. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, all of creation and all of humanity suffers the pain of sin until now. And so it's helpful what I want to do is equip us with the ability to not let suffering, pain, anguish 
get the best of you and diminish your walk with God. <clears throat> so if that's going to happen, I need to draw, and so I'm already instantly happier, like right here, okay? This is as good as taking a sip of a great cup of coffee. Just, ah, I'm drawing. And <laughs> you got to learn to be satisfied by the simple pleasures of life, friends, okay? And uh, this book, God, Where Are You? You can still pick it up on Amazon. About a thousand of you bought it. You might want to go back and relook at it because I'm going to do a flyby of this book in one sermon. But the statement there is that we need to zoom out from the pain and evil experienced in our personal lives. We need to consider evil in situations even broader than what might happen at a community level. Consider the context grander than the pain and suffering and injustice that occur at a national and global level like genocide and, and tsunamis. To adequately consider the problem of evil and pain, we must consider the universe. So in that, we know that God is the source of all good. There is emanating from God, Zoe, the, the word that stands for eternal life. And he created in the beginning, Genesis 1, Genesis 2. We know that there is an adversary, Satan. From him emanates the force of sin. It is death. And these two are at odds with each other and have been uh, ever since the account in Genesis. And so with this battle going on between good and evil, when God saw this, God so loved the world, he realized that the world has fallen, the planet has fallen since Adam. Sin entered, death entered, sickness entered, disease entered, injustice entered, abuse entered. All those things entered through sin. And if someone doesn't do something, all of creation is damned. God saw this and said, I love them so much, I will do something for them. And so the Bible says he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son to take on the form of a man, live on this planet, declare God's truth, die to pay for your sins and mine, buried in the grave, rose from the dead, conquered death, ascended into heaven, and is now preparing a place for us so that where he is, we may be also. It's a new heaven and a new earth. <clears throat> Knowing that that universe-wide battle is happening with all due respects, it seems trivial to ask the question, well, why me? This is all going on? And for some reason you can't get past, why me? It's kind of like sitting at a Major League Baseball game, only not at all like it, but let's just say it is. <clears throat> I love launching an analogy and realize it's not like that at all. But we'll then magnify it. You're sitting in the stands down the first baseline, better hits a foul ball, and the ball hits you. Boom, puts a big bump right in your head. Why did that happen to me? I got hit in the head with a ball. Why? Well, somebody's going to say, well, friend, or other words, you're sitting at a major league baseball game. Batters hit the ball. Sometimes they go foul, and they hit spectators. That's why. Nothing personal. Just say nothing personal. We tend to act like the entire universe is all focused on the center of the universe, which just happens to conveniently be you. Say it's not me. <clears throat> but how many times does Satan trip you up because you can't come up with the answer, why me? Most of the time, there's not an answer. Why me? And uh, unfortunately, as the battle rages between Satan and God, we fail to realize the stakes. And, and then on top of it, we have created a God sort of in our image or what we would like him to be. At least we have on this side of the world. And we have tended to create a human-serving, comfort-prioritizing, pain-avoiding kind of God. 
I would like God to be that way. I would like for him <clears throat> to wake up, although he doesn't wake up, um, to wake up in the morning and tell the heavenly host, okay, everybody, gather around, staff meeting today. Our number one priority is Stan Tharp's comfort, no pain. I want everything going, just sunshine, butterflies, and roses for Stan all day long and cap it off with a bow of convenience. That's what we're about. Ready, set, go. Be careful out there. I'm glad you're laughing. Because whatever the staff meeting of heaven is like, it's way more about this, and the stakes are incredible. And what's happening here has nothing to do, I would suggest, with a divine preoccupation for my comfort and convenience and pleasure. So, with that said, Let's deal with how people cope with this. Because if I realize that I'm just a waterline away from this, I'm actually part of this, it's kind of unsettling. You're not sitting at the edge of a baseball game. You're sitting like in the midst of an eternal war. Not quite eternal, but this holocaust of good and evil. I would suggest to you that being that close to it is not a real place, safe place to be. It'd be kind of like if you took your hot dog and your Coke out and not just in the first baseline out on the stands, but you took it and you sat like right next to the pitcher. That'd really be unsafe. Let's face it. Life isn't safe. Tell yourself that. Life isn't safe. But I like to be safe. So I, I try to take why me and answer it with things that make me feel safe. And I would suggest to you a false sense of security because the reality is this planet is a dangerous place and that's why I need someone to save me from it. We sang about him as our savior. So one of the explanations that we often give, don't say amen to this till you hear the whole sentence. I don't want to embarrass you. <laughs> we... People have often said my least favorite statement in the universe, everything happens for a reason. And I add, sort of. If you say sort of, I'm okay with that. Well, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate sensitivity toward it. Um, see, there was a, let's look at an illustration, biblical illustration. There was a guy named Job. had an incredible life. And it was the middle of a really good day. And it all blew up. This happened to Job's otherwise healthy, wealthy, prosperous, enviable life, all in a matter of days. In a matter of just a few days, natural disasters killed all of his children, all of his sons and daughters-in-laws, any grandchildren, killed them in one celebration. In a matter of days, whether it was natural disaster or enemies came and wiped out his wealth. All right, you talk about a cyber attack on your bank account. All right, they did a physical attack on his flocks, on his herds, and he went from a man of huge wealth to nothing, poverty. His identity changed in one fell swoop. He used to be known as his dad, as father-in-law, as grandpa, and all that was gone. And then finally, Satan was given permission to strike him physically, and he was hit with this incredible physical illness that caused gross infection, sores oozing all over his body. He goes from the lap of luxury to the pit of despair, like that. And his wife says to him, well, what kind of a fool are you? You still hold fast your integrity. Why don't you curse God and die? And, and Job tries to figure out what's going on. And the whole book of Job, he's got some friends that come along, and they try to comfort Job. And it turns out that they start to point at Job, saying, well, Job, you know, everything, they, this is their, everything happens for a reason. And they basically even went further with that and said, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And so they start, so if that's the case, what's Job? Job must be a really bad person, right? And don't listen to the lie when really bad things happen to you. Well, you must be a really bad person because this just happened to you. No, you might be a really good company and be a really righteous man like Job. So Job, at the end of the book, realizes the futility of trying to figure it out. And he says in Job 42, verse 3, Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I do not understand, 
things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. God, I'm sorry. I tried to figure it out. I tried to answer the why behind it. I tried to put you in a box and put the universe in some nicely handled paradigm. Reality is, much of life is a shrug of the shoulders. Now, I will go with you, and, and I, would, I delved into it in this book, God, Where Are You? Um, if you say everything happens for a reason, but you're talking about one of four reasons, I can go with that. One of the reasons is God. God causes lots of things to happen directly. Then, then God said, boom. Another reason lots of things happen is human choice. How many of you ever did something and something happened? <laughs> Choices have consequences, good, bad, and otherwise. Uh, and then there is just the, the consequence of living on the planet, and the planet has fallen. And so watch this. I don't know if you can see it or not. That's my marker. Did you see that? Who did that? What did that? Say it. Starts with a G. Gravity. Nobody's all bummed out about that. But if it's a volunteer in our old building, back in the day when the church didn't have the money to finish it, and so volunteers were finishing the balcony, and a man stepped off of a scaffold and gravity happened, and he was disabled the rest of his life, it raises questions. Did God do that to Sonny? Did the devil do that to Sonny? Or did the planet just keep the law of gravity in place and it happened? So God does things. Things happen because of human choice, because of the fallen plan. And finally, Satan does get permission. And, and Satan also has permission to do things. But I find really bad theology, everything happens for a reason, uh, does not make really bad experiences any more palatable. And when we claim everything happens for a reason, it alludes to some grand design that God himself is orchestrating together for good and implies that he simply needed some of your pain and suffering to finish the job. Now, everything happens for a reason kind of feels good because when I feel really vulnerable, <clears throat> like if I find, I don't know, if, Let's say you find a bunch of money. I don't know. Or you get an unexpected raise. Or it's just something really great happens out of nowhere. Do you go, why me? <laughs> and does somebody go, oh, it's okay. That extra five grand, everything happens for a reason. No, we just take it. But when we, when we get to that point of, of not being able to make sense of it, and when I get to the point when I realize, here's me, here's all of this. I'm just the tip of this iceberg. It gives me, I would suggest, a false sense of security to say and imply everything happens for a reason as if, okay, you don't know why that bad thing happened. It's like somebody hit your car and, and it's total. And so why me, God? But then insurance came and gave you a check more than what the car is worth. And so everything happened for a reason. Isn't that great? Oh, you lost your job, and you wonder, why me, God? But then you got a job, a new one that pays better. Well, everything happens for a reason, princes, and they all lived happily ever after. But it doesn't all work like that. Sometimes bad things happen, and the results are bad. Period. New paragraph. And see, the difficulty is when I am here, and I know this battle is going on, and I know what God has done to pay for the stakes of this, then I realize the vulnerability there, and I, can't, I cannot guarantee myself anything other than he will be with me in it, see me through it, give me the grace and the peace and the strength that I need, and I walk by faith, not by sight. So with that, Let's just jump past that sort of theological perspective and you can get the book on Amazon and just chew on that a little more. I want to jump to, okay, where we're hurting, what to do with your pain that you're either in, that you had, or that's coming if you live long enough because there'll be more. And uh, I'll just do a quick flyby of the last chapter. 13 responses to your pain. The first response is don't ask why. Ask now what? I find the most futile, frustrating, unfulfilling question to ask is why, God? 
Because I've found that God is le- appears from personal experience, you can't just judge my personal experience, but it appears to me that God is least interested in Stan Tharp knowing why. Because the, we walk by figuring out. No, we walk by faith, not by sight. He's far more interested in me asking, now what? Okay, God, here I am, tip of the iceberg. Here it is, battle going on. Okay, God, given all that, given the pain I'm in right now, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, Lord, now what? That reflects so much about where our heart's at and where our head is at. It's like, whoa, he's not going to shake his fist and point his finger and whatever. He's just ready to say, okay, now what? I trust you. Paul wrestled with that in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he had some kind of a malady, some kind of an illness. Theologians suspected it might have been, might have been an eye disease. And he said, I, I asked God over and over and over, take it from me. And the answer was no, silence, crickets. You ever ask God for something big and all you get is crickets? <laughs> Paul didn't then get lost in Why me? Where's God? No. Instead, okay, now what, God? And God taught him a timeless lesson that we quote to this day. And that is that God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul's like, yeah. I will then boast in my weaknesses. His power is perfected in me. Now what? Second thing in response to your pain is don't blame God. God. As futile as it is to ask why me, it's also futile to shake your fist at God. Imagine how God must feel. He knows this is the real picture. He knows this is universe-wide. This isn't even just earth-wide. The universe is fallen, and he is, he is dealing in this battle with the highest of stakes, has paid the ultimate price of his son, and he's waging this war, and he knows that someday he's going to win the war with a new heaven and a new earth, and, and, and he looks at us, and, and somehow we are here at the tip of this iceberg shaking our fist at him. I don't know about you, but that shows me how patient he is because if I was God with all of this and I saw one human on the tip of the iceberg shaking his fist at me, that human would be part of a melted part of an ice cream. I'd I'd zap him right there. (laughs) How many of you with me on that one? Okay, thank God we're not God. Job 122. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Nor did he blame God. Five of the most incredible, overwhelming, unbelievable words in the Bible. No wonder when this all started, God was bragging on Job. Have you considered that guy? He's a man after my own heart. And then as Satan seeked to pulverize him and rip back the layers, all the way to the core, a man of integrity. And, and don't sin. Number three, don't sin in your suffering. I told you Job's wife didn't handle it quite so well. Thought he was a fool. Why don't you curse God and die? And in Job chapter 2, verse 10, he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Honey. <laughs> Threw that in. <laughs> <laughs> they meant to put it in there. <laughs> I should have had another cup of coffee before I did this. <laughs> Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Again, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Let me offer a little pushback here to, I think, some contemporary erroneous thinking. When we're going through all the pain, heartache, whatever, and we, kind of, we, we just let ourselves vent in a tirade of anger and we vent it at God and we say, oh, it's okay. God's big enough. He can take it. Ish. He's also the one who is beyond honoring, ultimately holy, and it is possible to sin against God with what comes out of your mouth because Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So in your heartache, in your suffering. Learn not to blame God and learn not to sin with your lips. 
The fourth response is to be humble in your hardship. It's hard because when suffering happens, it's not, it's not hard when you have a bad day, right? We can handle a bad day. I can handle a bad week. For goodness sake, I can handle a bad month. But when it keeps going, 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 that's where it gets difficult. And, and this point here as far as being humble in your hardship, the longer the pain goes, the more we and our pain become the center of our universe and our focus. And the more Satan can get me to only focus on my pain, the more he tends to win because that's all I see. And it's easy to be overwhelmed. Micah chapter 6, verse 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Indulging ourselves in personal sympathy must at times seem petty to our God who's working out a creation-wide plan of redemption. Stop being surprised by pain. Unless when I drew this, And when I read the initial verses, you went, I never knew that. Then you can be surprised by pain. But if you had any inkling that this was reality, if you knew at all about Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden, sin, death, all that entering, then you should not be surprised by pain. There's a universe-wide battle going on between good and evil. You almost should be surprised. I had a good day. Where in the, why, why me, God, a good day? We should be shocked when things go right. After all, this planet is so fallen, it's not fixable. Say it's not fixable. Instead, God's, God's remedy is a do-over, a new heaven and a new earth. So when pain happens, toughen up. You know the expectations experience thing? If you're expecting life or life with God to be pain-free, problem-free, everything works out, everything's always good, then then your experience is not going to be that. Adjust your expectations that you know what? This world is like this, but my experience is that God can be trusted, and he's not changing this right now, but he's going to get me all the way through it. When they had the story of of the wheat and the tares, Jesus told a parable. And in that story, uh, he said there was a rich man who had some land and he planted his crops and then the enemy came and planted weeds in the crops. And his, his servant said, you want us to go rip out the weeds? And he goes, no, if you rip out the weeds, you'll damage all the, all, the, all the crops too. Let's wait till the harvest. We'll separate the weeds from the wheat and then we'll burn the weeds and then we'll, we'll, we'll have the wheat for good. That analogy is that he, back in creation, created a Paradise, and then Satan sowed sin into that. And we keep praying for God to take all the evil out, at least as it relates to my life. And God says, no, I can't do that. If I remove all the evil from the planet and destroy it, that sounds like a good idea, right? Remove all the evil from the planet and destroy it. Until you remember, just moments ago, we all raised our hands that we all have sinned. Some of you probably did on your way to church today. Some of you might be sitting right now. I don't know what you're thinking about me or what. I don't know. (laughs) But if he removes all the evil and destroys it all, boom, that's bad news for many of us. And there's something we don't understand. Would you say to yourself or to your neighbor, I don't fully understand the universe? So stop telling God what to do and being aggravated at him when he doesn't make sense from your little perspective. There is something about the fallen universe in which God cannot, it is theologically, spiritually impossible for him to take all the evil out of the current planet. He said, but I'll do the next best thing. There's going to come a day when it's a brand new heaven and a brand new earth and all the evil and pain you're talking about, it is gone forever. So... Number six, remember four causes for everything. I talked about that. Number seven, observe the law of sowing and reaping. There are some things that I wish weren't in the Bible. How about you? This one I wished was there sometime, and this one I wish wasn't there other times. I wish it was there when it applies to everybody else. Okay? Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. Don't be fooled. God is not mocked. 
Wherever a person sows this, they will also reap. Some of you know people that are doing some really wicked and bad stuff, selfish stuff, whatever, and it looks like they're getting away with it. And the justice in us, that's the character of God in us, the longing for justice and fairness goes, that's not fair. And I go back to this. No, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever a person sows, this they'll also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap. Say, I will reap. If we do not grow weary. He says, and so especially to the household of faith, do good. Whatsoever a person sows, that will they also reap. And I add in there in parentheses, eventually. Because there are people who are reaping lots of bad stuff and it doesn't appear that they're paying for it at all. And I'm just saying, you know, it ain't over until it's over. Until we're in a new heaven, new earth, you haven't seen all of justice enacted, all of fairness and, and reward enacted. So eventually we'll see that. And so when people out there are doing stuff that just gets me, I'm so glad you're going to reap what you sow. But there are times that how many of you ever sowed a good act and good things came of it? Come on, right? Felt good inside, blessed, whatever, right? How many of you ever did something bad and bad things came of it? Okay? So you don't have to guess, I wonder if I'm being punished. No, if you're being punished, you'll know real quick, well, I did this and that was the consequence. So don't, don't live in this unknown fear, am I reaping what I sowed? I just don't know what it is. God's keeping it a secret because he likes to do that. No, he doesn't do that. But when, when things happen and you know why I brought this on myself, then accept it. And, and then the next point is deal with sin. If you do sinful stuff, sooner or later bad stuff happens. That's why God says don't do it. He doesn't tell you not to sin because he wants to ruin your fun. Now, sin is pleasurable initially. Can I get an amen? 30 honest people said amen. That's why you do it. And, and you don't accidentally sin. You choose to do it. You premeditate, even if it's just in a nanosecond, I'm going to lie, boom, and then I lie, boom. I'm going to have this thought, and you have this thought. We premeditate that. And, and so the Bible, the good news, though, the Bible says is when I do sin, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sin, first time, every time, and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So when there is sin, deal with it. 1 Peter 1, verse 6. Pass the test. I did this last night, and the one week that the backup mic was not on was last night. Okay, for the, serv- for the sake of this illustration, this is you. I'll be God. <laughs> Testing. Testing. One, two. Test. Testing. Testing. See, because like it or not, would you repeat after me? God tests me. How do you know you're learning? Testing. How do you know you're growing in patience? How do you know you're growing in faith? How do you know you're growing in strength unless it gets tested? I hate that. I remember when I realized that, whoa, some stuff I've been praying, God, get it out of my life. He actually brought it to my life because he's... Stand, testing. One, two, stand, testing. Insert your name here, testing. First Peter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen him, you love him. Wasn't it wonderful just to sing about the name of Jesus? I haven't seen him yet. Man, I can't wait till we do. You haven't seen him, you love him. And though you, you don't see him now, you believe in him and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Pass the test. Number 10, turn the test into a testimony. 
How many times have you heard me say, if you had a dollar for every time I said, Romans 8, 28, you could buy you and your family lunch today? For we know. We don't wonder. We don't think. We don't suppose. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say, notice for the punctuation, it doesn't say, we know God causes all things, period. No, he doesn't do that. That's everything has for reason. No, there's, there's, God causes all things to work together for good. I would add parenthetically, eventually, because there are things going on in my life right now, just as in your life right now, or most of you, that don't appear to be working together for good. Can I get an amen? amen. But it's eventually. And the other caveat that I often add, he causes all things to work together for good for those who love him are called according to his purpose, so you're doing his will, not your own thing. But it's also if we let him. God can take this stuff and bring something constructive from it in your character, your personality, in life, in whatever, but he, he, you don't have to let him do that. You can stay bitter and shake your fist at him till the grave. So we have to let him. Turn the test into a testimony. And there are lots of people that, that need to know. I, I know what is often most encouraging to me is just I had a group of pastors here this past week, and I told them, you know, one of my themes is if your pain can be my gain, I'm all about that. But if my pain can be your gain, I'm all about that. And so several times throughout the day, uh, I said, you know, because, you know, they, they come from smaller churches. Oh, wow. See, you'll see. I'm like, I'm going to make you feel really good by the time you leave. And I just share one war story after another. And then the pain, we went through this. Wow, yeah, but God was faithful. We went through this. Wow, yeah, but God is faithful. And there's just something about hearing from other people that I, I know what it's like to feel hopeless, to feel despair, to, to have it not work out. But I still trusted God. He still gave me strength. He still gives me peace. How many of you, there's part of your life that is not a happily ever after ending? Let me see our hands. And you still love God? Raise your hand. There are people who need to know that. Because when it's not happily ever after, then what? Well, I realize this, and so I still trust him and I still love him. Job said, even though he slays me, if that's the case, I'll serve him. And then grow closer to God in and because of your pain. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And see, if you're so busy shaking your fist and pointing your finger and blaming and asking why and whatever, you can't grow close to him. And there is meant to be an intimacy with Jesus in your suffering. The Bible calls him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Isaiah calls him the suffering servant. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 1, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Let that one sink in. So also our comfort is abundant through Christ. There are times that the pain has been so deep in my life and the anguish so overwhelming, all I've been able to, to mutter is the word Jesus. And there is something about that place of desperation, not shaking a fist, not pointing a finger, but just saying Jesus. And the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who understands what grief is, has come alongside and said, I'm here. We're going to get through this. You know, Stan, the planet's falling. There's all this stuff going on. You know that. So I may not take it away, but I'll be with you every step. And there is this that happens. When you, when you come to experience the, not the bewilderment, but the fellowship of his sufferings. And learn that shall is not is. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we're getting to the end of earthly existence. In fact, it has happened. And in Revelation 21, verse 1, John has this vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And talking about 
God will be among them, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning, no mourning, there shall no longer be any crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and shall is not is. There is right now crying, pain, mourning, heartache, suffering, along with all the great stuff in life. But you know what? Don't confuse is with shall. And don't lose faith in him because this is going on. And trust him. There is coming a time when what Jesus declared on the cross, it is finished, will be true universe-wide. It is finished. And the old will pass away. All things have become new. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And that shall take place. And that is our source of hope. So you say to your pain, your darkest suffering, you shall end. Whether it's today when we close in prayer, whether it's when you breathe your last breath and you see Jesus face to face. And don't go it alone. Galatians 6.2 Bear one of his burdens. Fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12.15 Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Learn to go through the struggles in life as the body of Christ and stop giving people advice on how they should suffer and just be there with them. And if you're trying to go through life alone without Jesus, that's the first thing you don't want to do. And today, ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Surrender your life to him. Don't go through it alone. And as we look at that and accept those perspectives, you can know the fellowship of his suffering. Final point. I close this message with Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost, Paul says, for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And someday there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, and a brand new glorified body and a renewed version of you and me. And until then, when you go through direct personal evidence of this, know that Jesus is there with you. And oddly enough, this can strengthen your faith draw you closer and be more aware of his love, not less. That's the experience. That's the amen being added by this word from one of our own. Watch this. Hi, my name is Deb Anderson. Um, we've been coming to Christian Life Center since 1984. I had a serious knee injury way back in 1980 and um, tore my knee up really bad. And I've ended up having to have five knee replacements because my body refused to cooperate and accept the knee replacement. So I've been through a lot trying to um, remain mobile. I also have rheumatoid arthritis and among other multiple autoimmune diseases. That's the one that's the most challenging. A um, lot of pain, a lot, um, lot of stiffness, fatigue. It just makes it really hard to get around. I ended up having to retire five years early because it just got um, overwhelming and I didn't feel like I could safely practice as a nurse anymore. Um, I also had some damage to my laryngeal nerve when I had to have uh, most of my thyroid removed because it developed autoimmune disease and was getting huge lumps all over my neck and my thyroid levels were going up and down and all over the place. The RA began progressing pretty significantly a little over six years ago. I, prior to that, I was very athletic. I worked out in the gym two and a half hours a day, five days a week. I've had to give up a lot of the things that I really enjoy, like the exercise, because the exercise one day, the next day you hurt so bad that you're bound to your recliner or bed. And um, having to give that up was tough. And I'm not gonna say that I'm just happy and joyful all the time. There are days when I would give anything to have my old life back. But God is faithful, and I rest on that.
Having the, these illnesses and injuries actually has really increased my faith. As I've gotten more ill, I'm more dependent on God. I have to trust Him some days to help me get out of bed and give me the strength to be able to do the things that need to be done. I just can't imagine trying to do this on my own. People who are that ill that I took care of in the hospital and had no faith, I don't know how they did it because there's someone I can always depend on. And he's been so faithful. He's um, provided for us financially, even though I did end up having to quit work. He's provided a really great um, social network for us. I am so blessed to have um, a husband and family that's really supportive. But I gotta say that becoming this ill has done wonders for my prayer life. There are some days when I can't get up and around, so I have plenty of time to pray. And that's um, been one of my biggest assets in knowing that I can always take it to my father, even when it's a day when there isn't much else that I'm gonna be able to do. I'm not gonna say it's easy. Life isn't sunshine and rainbows. Being a Christian doesn't make it all go away, all the bad things. We still have to deal with those things, but God is faithful. And if you are faithful in listening to Him, praying, spending time in the Word, spending time with other Christians, you will make it through it because He is always faithful. Love 
to those of you who are suffering today. This message is by no means meant to minimize that pain. It's meant to acknowledge it, express grief with you, but it's meant to encourage you that you have a Savior who loves you, Jesus. Joyce and I have known Deb and Greg for almost 40 years. They've raised their kids and other grandkids here, and she volunteers as a receptionist, and many times, how'd the surgery go? It went from good to didn't go good. You have to have another and another and another. And I remember praying and the disappointment. And I remember the last surgery. If they don't get this right, I'm ready to just have them take it all. That bad of pain. Blows my mind to stand there in the dark and hear her say, there are days, I can understand this, I give anything to get my old life back. But through it all, I've learned God's faithful. All this suffering, all this heartache, has done wonders for my prayer life. That's going from this to this. I want to close in a moment of prayer if you'd bow your heads with me. I wrestled and debated, do I have people stand? Do I bring them forward? What? But I realized that our pain is such a private, personal thing. Sometimes we don't feel like wearing it in front of others or to be putting it on display. And so I just want to close in prayer for those of you that would say, either one, I've been going through this alone. I need Jesus in my life. But to the majority of us here, a believer, I'm, I'm going through pain and I'm hurting and I, I need to know him as the God of all my comfort in a new way. I, just need him to, I need him to just visit me. I need more strength to sustain me. I need more comfort. I need more grace, more peace in where I'm at. And you'd say, pray for me. All across you, just raise your hand. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I need him. Pray for me. Lord, you see our upraised hands. Whether it's physical pain and disappointment, and up until now, the answer has not been what we want. Whether the pain is in a relationship, in our own emotional well-being in our life. Whatever the case might be, guys, we look across the landscape of life, we know that you're there. And so until, until, Lord, we turn the corner on a new day, whether it's here or in heaven, help us to know the comfort in our struggles. Help us to know you and Jesus in those moments that we don't know what to do. Let us just speak your name. Let us know your strength, your peace, and I pray that you touch each heart today, each hurting heart, each struggling life with a renewed sense of your love and an awareness of that. And Lord, drive away every question. Silence those thoughts. It has nothing to do with how much I love you if your problems linger. I want you to know that I love you in the midst of it, and I will love you through it, and I will be with you, and I will walk with you, and I will comfort you. So we trust you. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.